Welcome to the Complete Manager Makeover Podcast, a management training and leadership development platform focused on providing managers and business owners with practical compliance and employee relations tips, tools, and techniques for every stage of their career or business. Our mission is to slash the statistic that employees don't quit their jobs, they quit their bad managers. Not anymore, because we are transforming the human and human resources with the Complete Manager Makeover. Thank you for being here today. We are going to talk about 10 supervisory mistakes to avoid. If you've been on our shop, uh, on our website, thecompletemanagermakeover.com, this is actually also an excerpt from the ebook of the same title, 10 Supervisory Mistakes to Avoid. And oftentimes there are some common themes that we as managers and supervisors tend to do that if we do them differently, we will definitely have improved performance from our employees, increased engagement as well. And when we have improved employees, engagement, all of that, it tends to have a positive effect overall on our workplace and on our business. So we're all about improving performance through engagement. That engagement comes through training, through ensuring that our employees are treated formally or equitably, I like to say. Um, So today we're gonna talk about those mistakes that we tend to make that can cause turnover, disgruntled employees, things of that nature. So I'm going to dive right in with number one, poorly executed interviews. Oftentimes, and we've had a lot of conversation about the interview process, there is a definite way of conducting an interview so that you're really making sure that the person that you're hiring isn't just someone that would make a great friend because you connected so well and built great rapport in that conversation, but also someone who can actually do the job. We oftentimes want to make sure that we are asking the same questions. You've heard me say this before. Each of the candidates with, of course, some unique questions for each candidate because everyone's different. They have different backgrounds, experiences, job histories, things of that nature. But always focus first on that list of common interview questions so that you can have a valid way to compare your candidates. And supervisors need to be careful again about potential hot button questions about a candidate's protected status. Always be careful about not tripping any wires in terms of age, race, religion, marital status, because we build rapport by, you know, making sure that we're making them feel comfortable during the interview and things of that nature. And we may hear someone with an accent and go, oh my gosh, your accent is so unique. Where is it from? Don't do that. We often make that misstep. And so that tends to be a supervisory mistake that we see, poorly executed interviews. Remember, the focus of that interview is to ensure or as much as possible that the candidate that you're talking to has the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the job. Not that you'll just get along with them, that's always a plus, but that's not the main focus. So make sure that to get adequate training, we have lots of video resources as well, so that if you've gotta reiterate or review any of those before going into an interview, you've got that information fresh on your mind. So that's typically Mistake number one. Mistake number two is wage and hour violations. U.S. supervisors and managers play a really unique and important role 
to make sure that your company is complying with FLSA. That stands for the Fair Labor Standards Act, and that law's been around since the 1930s. It regulates overtime, it regulates hours worked, it regulates meal breaks, and anything having to do with how an employee is paid. Now, these are federal standards. We also have to be aware of any state and local rules that govern wages, hours, compensation, overtime. You as a supervisor and manager are required to know these things. And so I encourage you, get some additional information outside of our training of our bi-weekly calls and things of that nature so that you are up you know, to date on those kinds of things. And one of the biggest thing is sometimes we as managers need to make sure that we don't have overtime. No organization wants to have overtime because it does incur additional expenses. 1.5 of that hourly rate can add up if we have a lot of overtime. And sometimes we as supervisors and managers maybe wanna have an employee work just a little while longer, but they've already clocked out. That can be a huge, wage and hour violation and sometimes maybe an employee didn't take their lunch break and we change the payroll system and add that half hour or that hour lunch break so that it doesn't count towards overtime even though they didn't take it <clears throat> another really big wage and hour violation that can really get your employers in a lot of hot water if a an employee were to go to the Department of Labor and say, you know, I've been working off the clock a lot, this and that. This doesn't only affect that one employee, it's going to affect all employees because once the division of wage and hour is notified that there may be something wrong with the wages and compensation of an organization, it could trigger an entire audit of the entire organization, not just that one employee who's complaining. In addition to that, when we negotiate or if there's found to be some violation, the Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division can go back in wages up to three years to correct that kind of infraction. So it can really mean some pretty huge fines for your organization. And as a supervisor and manager, it's your role and responsibility to reduce the risk, not increase it. So practice tip, never ever request, require, or even permit employees to work off the clock. If someone calls you and they're hourly from home, maybe they're working remotely, and you've just seen them log into a system or something like that, we wanna ensure that they're also clocked in for that so they can be fairly compensated for the work that they do. Always make sure that you're signing off on their time cards, their time records, whether that's digital or in writing, and make sure that the employee signs off on those wages as well. Typically, by just doing that login through their systems, that gives us what we need to ensure that we have the record keeping required for the payment of their wages. So just a couple of things to think about. Now, Wage and Hour and Department of Labor and FLSA, that is a humongous act that doesn't just cover those things but those tend to be some of the things that we as supervisors or managers might do that could trip a wire of risk number three mishandling leave or accommodation requests mishandling leave supervisors need to know 
when a request may fall into a family medical leave, a personal or medical leave, or a reasonable accommodation leave for maybe a disability or a religious practice or belief. And these procedures are super complicated and definitely one where you want to flag your human resources representative. But a couple of things to look for, maybe an employee has been out of work or away from duty for maybe three or more days. At day three, you need to flag leadership or your human resources consultant, representative, because after three days, depending on the situation, an employee could be eligible for family medical leave. Now, family medical leave is only triggered as a law when you have 50 or more employees. However, if your organization does have maybe a personal leave policy or a medical leave policy, maybe they've chosen to offer that as a benefit regardless of the size of the employee which is required after 50, you still want to trigger whatever that policy and practice is so that you treat employees equitably. You don't want Mary Jane, who hasn't been here three days, to be automatically brought back to work when Bobby Jane doesn't and you have some restrictions in that person's return to work. It is your responsibility to make sure that the practices and the policies are in compliance uniformly that we're doing them with all employees so respond to these requests if you hear someone say oh i'm not able to do that you know i, I slipped a day it's a permanent injury and i can't reach or be on ladders or anything like that if you hear anything like that you definitely want to consult with leadership or your human resources department or representative because that may be an issue where we're triggering a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act and you only need 15 employees to be an employer who must comply with the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's why this training is so important. Knowing that those triggers exist, knowing when to trigger the conversations, help us be involved as well when we need to because you as supervisors and managers are the eyes and ears of the organization that extend past leadership and human resources. Number four, ineffective goal setting. We've talked about this in our performance management and our evaluation discussions regarding making sure that the expectations of performance, particularly when it relates to setting goals and achievements, that we are indicating how they'll be measured, that we not make them so general, we don't really have a target goal. They say, what is it, a, a wish without a plan is just a dream or a goal without a plan is just a dream. And that's exactly the way we should think about goal setting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Com performance goals should be set based on not just your department goals, but also on organizational goals. Goals that you set up for your employees should lead up to each of the next levels of benchmarks or key performance indicators. If you've got a revenue goal in your organization and your company, of, we'll keep it simple, $100,000, then portion of that has to be carved out so that leadership is held accountable to their portion of generating that revenue and their departments that report to them are also tasked with part of the goals that lead up to achieving that $100,000 revenue. So they should definitely be aligned and they need to be what we call smart goal 
framework. The SMART goal framework is setting performance goals that are specific, that's the S, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Now the next session that we do, we're gonna talk in detail about how to structure these for performance expectations, PIPs, which are performance improvement plans. Maybe someone's got one leg in, one leg out, and we wanna make sure that we're tasking them with goals to keep them focused and employed by improving their performance through that plan. They need to be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. It's one thing to say, oh, I'd love to lose weight. It's kind of general. It's a little bit more targeted to say, I'd like to lose 15 pounds by December 31st, right? And then <clears throat> support that with by walking once a day for three miles. That's specific. There's no doubt what the employee is supposed to achieve when you structure your SMART goals in that fashion. And when we talk about SMART goals in the next segment, we'll definitely use some real world examples of that. But that tends to be a misstep. We wanna make sure that we're focused with our performance expectations. Number five, failing to address issues promptly. Not everybody likes conflict. Let's be realistic. But handling performance problems, conduct issues, conflicts in the workplace, when you just tend to kind of blow them off and look the other way or sweep them under the rug, what you're really doing is ignoring the issue and potentially putting a situation together where it's gonna aggravate the problem. If an employee is aware that something is unacceptable because you've made that conversation known immediately, the chance of it recurring is gonna be limited, right? We can't fix something unless we know it's broken. Our responsibilities as supervisors and managers is to acknowledge and to make the employee aware of what they need to be doing differently. And you always hear me say, I don't like to use the what you're doing wrong, what they need to be doing differently, whether it's a dress code standard, being late to work, taking too long of a lunch and milking the clock, so to speak, um, at the end of the day, unauthorized overtime issues, aggressive confrontation in a meeting, right? Whatever it is, nothing is better than addressing it in the moment that it happens. Again, using all of the tools on your feedback and performance conversations training as well. So keep that in mind. Make sure that we are documenting when necessary, when we have to address an issue, depending on the situation, but also do so in a timely fashion. Don't brush it off. It's super important not to do that. Number six supervisory mistake to avoid. You know, supervisors sometimes tend to act inconsistently. And I attended a session in one of the HR conferences many, many years ago, and it was called, Of Course We All Have Favorites, <laughs> okay? And the reality is we do have favorites, right? With the one that comes into work all the time on time, you never have to coach and counsel. They're doing their work and this and that. And then you got Joe who doesn't do any of that. So there's just that tendency. However, we as supervisors must still be consistent when enforcing our company policies and procedures. And so if our star employee isn't clocking in and clocking out, we need to let them know just as much as we need to let Joe know. 
That consistency, that equity in application and enforcing company policies is a game changer when it comes to reducing risk, especially of liability and litigation. If an employee can say that, oh, well, we have a big Hispanic or we have a big African-American population and only the Cubans get written up, only the African-Americans get we want to be very cautious of that. Only the males get, you know, only the females get written up for not coming in on time because they've got kids at home to get to school or whatever the case, right? We never want to open that Pandora's box. And by acting consistently in all we do, especially when making decisions about documenting company policy, non-compliance, anything like that, we want to make sure that we across the board apply that equally. If you've got an attendance policy that says three latenesses in a month is going to give them a, a coaching and a counseling or a corrective action document, then do that consistently, not just in your department, but make sure there's somebody in place who can make sure it's being consistently applied across all the departments. It's not just about who you oversee, but how those same policies are administered in the organization as a whole. So that's why it's always important to involve your HR and leadership because we may know what's happening in other areas to make sure that that consistency is applied. And that's where policies come into play. Having things in writing that says this is what the expectation is, sharing what that is in advance, that's where the employee handbook comes in, is going to be part of that. And as managers, I would encourage you, Take a department meeting once a week or once a month to get your group together and say, today we're going to talk about page three of the handbook or four or five until you go completely through the entire thing. They can't say they didn't know when we have that as part of our internal accountability process. Probably didn't read it yet, but if you as a manager decide during wrap sessions, department meetings, whatever internal communication processes you have, that you'll take 10 minutes or five minutes to review a certain segment of the handbook, or at least it's bullet points, then that gives you an opportunity to make sure that everybody in the organization is consistent because we all are reading from the same handbook. Number seven, infrequent communication. You know I'm big on feedback and rap sessions and having opportunities to create a culture of communication. And many organizations say, yeah, we're an open door culture, yet we're waiting for the employee to walk in our door. I submit to you that we do the reverse as well. Going out into your workplaces, reaching out to your employees on a biweekly basis, say, hey, Let's get together for coffee or lunch or just a quick wrap session. You've heard me talk about the book that I recently uh, made. In the back of that book is an actual wrap session sample form that I've actually used in my own experience as a manager. Having those conversations with our employees that say, how's it going? What barriers do you have? What could we be doing differently? What feedback do you have for me as your manager? If you're creating a frequent communication and building rapport and really know your people, you won't have anybody who's not willing to say, well, you know, I think you could do this differently or give you some opportunities for improvement as well. We can all use it from every 
vantage point. So make sure that obviously in your communication, what information you can and can't share. Obviously you want to give away trade secrets and things of that nature or, or things that are to be kept close to the vest. But if there is information about you know, new artists, new clients, new customers that are coming into your organization, those are things you want to involve your employees on so that they feel part of the organization bigger than just their job that they do. And one-on-one -on -one meetings, rap sessions, listen and respond, whatever you call them, is a great way to do that. Number eight, just like we can have infrequent communication, we can have infrequent or insufficient feedback. Like I said before, feedback helps employees to understand where they need to improve. It helps them understand what things they're doing well. Recognition is important for anyone, not just employees, but you as leaders and managers of, as well. And if it's too infrequent, that's where engagement starts to really struggle. You wanna make sure that you're giving opportunity for improvement feedback, but also the attaboys and the job well done opportunities as well. You know, feedback should be always delivered in person and never, ever, ever through email. If you want to send a recap email, absolutely. But pick up the phone, go to the person's office, especially if it's a developmental or even a kudos. If it's feedback that is recognizing face-to-face -face communication when it's feedback should be done regularly when it happens not oh yeah by the way thanks for working that second shift for me three weeks ago just as much as corrective feedback needs to be timely and within that 24-hour period that it occurred so should recognition feedback as well and again have the conversation firsthand. It'll help you build your conflict resolution muscles and make sure if you need to recap it, that's when you can then put it in writing. But always make sure that your conversations, especially developmental opportunities, are done in person or over the phone, you know, verbally. Because we talked about, I think, communication a couple weeks ago, I think, and all the things that might be getting in the way. We want to make sure that we don't miss anything in terms of tone, inflection, voice, because we've written something in an email that may not come across exactly as we expected to deliver it. Number nine, just mentioned it, too little or zero recognition. Everybody likes recognition. And again, re rewarding positive performance, especially when an employee may not have been doing it correctly before. Maybe they had an issue with the clock in and the clock out. Maybe it was something performance wise and they've been improving. You want to make sure to encourage that change, but also recognize the fact that you've noticed that there's been a positive change or improvement as a result of any previous communications. Encourage them to continue to work hard on those same things, but recognizing it helps to make sure that it continues thereafter. You know, formal recognition doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't need to be an employee of the month or a monetary reward, a pat on the back, and I appreciate you, a hey, you know what, we're gonna be slow this week in appreciation for you picking up that shift the other day if you'd like to go home early, that's great. Guess what? That helps to reduce <laughs> any possibility of overtime too, provided your leadership allows you to have that flexibility within your department. Listen, if the work's done, then you're good to go, right? But make sure that you know your employees well enough to know 
who prefers public praise versus who likes just something a little bit more, hey, just pull me aside and tell me. Not a lot of people like the whole showboat thing. You know, when is a handwritten note sufficient for recognizing an accomplishment? I used to do some pretty corny things and my employees loved them. I'd bring in some cupcakes. I'd have a handwritten, I always have cards within hand reach. Hey, you take the cake, thanks for, and then being specific about something that they did that week or what have you. We'd even do lifesavers roll candies and it'd say, thanks for being our lifesaver for picking up that second shift or doing whatever it was that was the above and beyond. Those little things go a long way. And knowing your employees, you'll know what they'd appreciate in terms of those small token things that you can do to recognize an employee in even the smallest ways that also ensure that we're, you know, not having huge expenses um, within the organization or to our own pockets, depending on how your organization works that. And then number 10, neglecting training and development. This is where, you know, it's my passion. Training can give employees skills that they need to succeed, to get promoted, to Providing developmental opportunities for your employees is critical to ensure that they continue to grow so your business grows as well and nobody's left feeling stagnant. Both are important components of employee satisfaction and leadership development. So, you know, I'm huge on training and development and it doesn't always have to be external. It could be something where maybe there's a job shadow program and you have employees who learn what other employees are doing so that there's a culture of creating awareness of what someone else's role is so that that helps with teamwork when we can relate to one another and what our struggles are and what our responsibilities are and how they relate to other parts of the organization and other departments, it tends to open up the scope of view for an employee who really can understand a little bit more because we've taken the opportunity for training and development. So always continue to develop your staff. If you see free webinars uh, that are available, if you have a learning management system, go through that and say, hey, I think this course, this class, this workshop, this session would be a great thing for you to do. Make it part of their goals for their next review cycle. So things of that nature, it doesn't always have to be something formal. It could be just the systems that you have in place that can continue to ensure that that employee, all employees, including yourselves, are learning and growing all the time. So that is our 10 supervisory mistakes to avoid and how to fix them. Well, that's our show today. Thanks for listening to The Complete Manager Makeover. I'm Lisa Perez. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more about our community or training resources, search for us on the web, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at The Complete Manager Makeover, where I invite you to become part of our community. Please leave us a review and share our movement to transform the human in human resources with The Complete Manager Makeover.